Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. It's been a while. The podcast, as always, is presented by WeHaveDonuts.com, D-O-U-G-H, Nuts.com. Make sure and visit their website and check out their new pop-up locations all around Birmingham. And, of course, you can pick up their donuts at Prevail Union Coffee Shops here in Auburn and in Montgomery. So check them out at WeHaveDonuts.com for much more information on their beautiful and delicious donuts. Uh, Mike, National Signing Day has come and gone. Auburn signed nine players. Of course, it's a different age now with the early signing period and now this. You see the bigger programs are signing most of their players in December now. And now uh, you kind of get a handful late and you're always in on maybe some four- and five-star guys that want to wait till signing day. Uh, for Auburn, um, no D commitments. That was kind of like the big thing Gus Malzahn was pushing. They had no D commitments. They signed nine guys. They uh, they swung and missed on Justin Ross, which wasn't a surprise, really. Um, a lot of people thought he was either going to Clemson or Alabama. He ended up signing with Clemson, and you were there for that. And then they had to add a couple guys late, and uh, one of those was Caleb Johnson, who you spoke to was at his signing day ceremony. But before we get to that, uh, what just what's your overall, I guess, take on this nine-man class coming in and uh, Auburn's first non-top ten finish in a 24-7 sports composite in the Gus Malzahn era. Man, fans were uh, besides themselves. <laughs> That's kind of what I noticed. That I think there was a general level of frustration that uh, Auburn wasn't one of the top teams kind of in the sense that they were in on basically nobody that was worth anything other than Justin Ross, which he kind of, like you said, was kind of a foregone conclusion. He wasn't coming to Auburn until the last second where people kind of uh, thought that he might change his mind. But um, they were in on none of the big names, and I think people were kind of just frustrated that there wasn't a bigger uh, splash made. And and maybe they've been spoiled in recent years where Derek Brown and Big Cat and Nate Craig last two years kind of on signing day, but... I thought that was kind of surprising. And I mean, it is surprising just the fact that uh, they had spots to fill and, you know, they had an offensive, offensive line with, uh, I think they could have offered early playing time and they couldn't land anybody. Um, so that was kind of my big takeaway, I guess. Yeah, I agree with the offensive line part. That's one of my biggest takeaways from this is that they were unable to get someone. And Gus Malzahn tried to explain, hey, we had Herb Hand, then he left, and then we had J.B. Grimes come in, so it was kind of difficult from that standpoint. But even before that, when Herb Hand was still here, it didn't seem like they were, you know. Trending towards right. getting the person, yeah. And the one, and they're still going after one guy, uh, 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 Calvin Anderson. Um, right. But uh, uh, Bruce Feldman, I believe, reported a week or two ago that Auburn's third on his list. The good thing for Auburn is they host him this weekend, so they can change his mind a little bit and see what happens from there. Uh, but that would be a big pickup. The Rice, he's from Rice. Uh, grad transfer would be immediately eligible. Auburn needs help with an offensive line, and Gus Malzahn admitted it. That was the one place they fell short. You know, every year he's usually saying, yeah, everything's great, but he actually kind of admitted, yeah, we fell short there, and at tight end for that matter. Because if you remember – early signing period, he said, we, we still want a big-time tight end, and they didn't sign uh, one at all. So those are two big areas they've got to they got to fill up uh, either on the grad transfer market, uh, especially offensive line, uh, here in the summer, or spe and especially next signing period, they're going to have to sign a lot of linemen. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just an optics standpoint, too. You know, when you're kind of watching some of the coverage and – the major storylines it was georgia sucking all the oxygen out of things and then alabama and you're auburn and 
you are just outside of a top 10 class. It wasn't a disaster, but, uh, I mean, you're third in the SEC and third by a wide margin behind, uh, uh, Alabama and Georgia and Georgia putting a class together that pretty incredible just on paper. Um, yeah, and, you know, one fan, in the nation. Yeah. Yeah. I know some fans got a little overboard. So I saw one title of a post was, uh, we just wasted $50 million. Um, <laughs> You know, and yeah. maybe that's probably a little too soon, but um, but yeah. I think yeah. their their point is I, I understand their point that if yeah. you're on their le- on Georgia and Alabama's level, you should right. be on their level. So, uh, and this class I don't think was. Yeah, I mean, th- you know, what's interesting is that if you want to go by numbers and yeah, and that's things, all you can do right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's all you can do. Yeah, this class technically ranked twelfth is the worst of the mouths on era which is yeah. crazy to think number 12 is the worst um but uh it's actually better as far as composite numbers with our system than last year's class which i found which is was kind of interesting this is also the, the second most four-star recruits they've ever signed under gus malzahn but it's mm. the first class i believe they Without have a five-star five um but if you want to go back yeah, I'm playing devil's advocate here for fans who think this was just a, a bad finish. Um, there's been some five stars that haven't panned out for Auburn uh, in recent years. Byron Coward, of course, being the big one. Um, in fact, Byron Coward, if you look at our system, is the best recruit to ever sign with Auburn in the modern uh, Internet era of right. recruiting websites. So take it for what you will. But I do agree I can understand why fans are upset because they just didn't have that big, strong finish like they've had in recent years. And, and they had less people to worry about because right. basically they had 22 guys almost from the last signing period locked up. You know, they had eight commits basically. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I know you're trying to, you know, you're making keeping those and playing defense a little. But there weren't very many guys that were even on the bubble. I mean, Coinus Miller maybe – one other but everybody else was kind of pretty solid so you kind of think well if you're only working on five guys what are you doing and you don't land anybody really so it's yeah. like you know and I, I can understand that i, I think you know the fit wasting 50 million dollars is, is an excessive reaction yeah. but i can understand where it's like you got six weeks and you don't land a a, a four star you know i could see why people would be a little frustrated sure. but i also could have been a lot worse from the standpoint not necessarily ranking but Every big program, just about every program, loses might lose a commitment in the final days before signing day. Or if you're like LSU, you might lose guys on signing day. Auburn just, in the Malzahn era, for whatever reason, they've been able to secure folks and they don't decommit. Uh, but the, the alternative process. would be that Georgia lost people that they didn't want because they were getting higher people. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, Georgia, I, I don't know so, what's going on. I don't so, know what's going on at Georgia, but they, it, it seems like they've got 58 coaches on staff because they hired two new coaches on signing day. They were stealing, we're not stealing, but but getting all these big recruits to decommit from others. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing the run they're on, and the, as you just as you mentioned earlier, that only magnifies. Uh, and that's the problem. You're only worried about the two programs. Right. You know? It's like, and those are the two programs that. And Alabama you know. didn't have a day that was up to its uh, uh, recent history either. Right. But it still finished ahead know, of Auburn. Uh, right. And, and, so and, that's and then that's of... the other interesting thing. Auburn finished third in the SEC. And as you said, there's kind of a wide margin there, especially between Georgia and Auburn as far as numbers. But yeah. it's the first time Auburn's finished above fourth in the SEC in the Malzahn era. 
and a lot of that had to do with LSU under Ed Orgeron just not Bombed doing very well. Yeah, yeah. They, they bombed. Um, I would say that among the – if you wanted to look at programs that kind of fell apart down the stretch for recruiting, LSU takes the cake in the SEC this year. Yeah. Because um, what happened there, man, whew. Um. But you kind of expected as much a little bit with just the yes. way that program's gone. Yeah, and then the losing changes assistance made. and the changes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that's our biggest takeaways from the day. You know, I think fans – you know, I was thinking this. What if what if Anthony Schwartz waited till signing day to announce? Like if they got one of those guys? Yeah, like – and you know programs do that. They go, hey, you're committed to us, whatever, silently, but let's wait till signing day. Um, but Auburn doesn't do that. No. Um, they haven't since at least the Malzahn's been here. Then that's the only time I've been here. They've never had that guy where they go, Hey, be silent until signing day. They've they've they're literally like if they're in it at the end, it's not until signing day until they know. Yeah. Um so anyway, Auburn number twelve uh, in the recruiting rankings. Keith Niebuhr has plenty of coverage on that on our website. And of course, he's already looking ahead to two thousand nineteen. I believe he's got a list of twenty five names to watch for the two thousand nineteen signing class. And, of course, a lot of offensive linemen to be looking at there uh, as well. Now, moving forward here for the here and now on the playing surfaces, the basketball team, um, not in a rut, I would say, but kind of took a hit, losing to Texas A&M 81-80 to uh, on late Wednesday night. And the big hit to them, more than anything, that could affect them more than just one game is Bryce Brown went down with a shoulder injury in the final three and a half minutes of the first half. Um, did not return. He's questionable for the Georgia game. I, I thought it was almost uh, not miraculous, but uh, incredible that Auburn came back from a 17 point deficit and actually took the lead against A&M late without Bryce Brown on the court. Who's their best player as we've, we've talked about here. I, I thought that was huge. Uh, just showing their fight, but um this could be a big hit to them down the stretch if they can't get him back or even back to 100%, Mike, especially as they go on the road at Georgia where Auburn's, uh, other than a, a couple of years ago or a year ago when they beat them, it seems that they seem to struggle there in Athens. Yeah, well, Georgia's kind of spiraling right now. I mean, they had that yeah. win against Florida, but they've lost, I think, five of their last six, uh, which is not good. And going back even further, looks like, seven out of their last nine. Yeah, so, and they're coming uh, off a pretty big loss to Vandy, right? I didn't keep up yeah, with it too much, but I heard about 15 that. 15 yeah. points. So, yeah. uh, and they lost 15 points to uh, Mississippi State. Both of those games were on the road, but I mean, those are some bad losses. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you'd think that they're still going to be favored. And, you know, not not maybe by the books, but just the idea that um, they killed this team in the second half last time they played. And, you know, they're I think the teams are trending in different directions. But... Um, I, you know, I think Bryce is going just cause just in case he wakes up and he's feeling better. Uh, but I don't know. I think you'd hold him out just because yeah. you've got a cushion. You lose this game. It's not the end of the world. It's a road game. Uh, George is not a team. You have to worry about the tiebreaker. Um, and you know, you got bigger games against Kentucky and Alabama coming up. Uh, so you just kind of, I think, I think you roll the dice without him just cause you've, th that's the cushion you've built, but um, you know, he's a competitor, so it's probably easier to say that than, than to tell him that. But um, I think they can afford to lose a game here. Um, I don't think it's going to kill them. Yeah. Um, now, of course, it'll, it'll hurt their RPI a little bit and all that. But 
at this point they're a top five seed and they can they can still stay above that line as I've mentioned here too uh, by losing a couple more games. It's just that you know when they get Alabama Kentucky at home, those are games that can make the difference between you being a five seed and say a three right. seed. Well, and you want Bryce Hosey for those games. I right. think I think you'd rather lose to Georgia without him uh, than than not have and then not have him. And the committee oh. would take that into consideration right. with seeding, right? Too. And I think you have. I mean, Kentucky wins over Kentucky and uh, Alabama will look better at this point than a loss on the road without your best player to the committee. Yeah. So um, I, I'm guessing here. I mean, you you're on it all all day every day, and you're there. Um, it doesn't sound like it's a Super serious injury, or what, what? What are you gathering there for Bryce? It's just so sore, and so they have to kind of wait to. So there's uh, no torn, nothing's torn. Not that we're we've been told. Um, okay. Yeah, he was evaluated Thursday afternoon. Didn't practice, um, but yeah, I mean, day to day, questionable. However you want to word it, but right. um, but he was sore and he was hurting, so. Um, it was an interesting kind of when it happened, you know, it happened on the block. Yeah. Um, and on just dunk. It's kind of a, on a weird play. Just the idea that <laughs> that guy was strong enough to uh, hurt his arm on that, on that block shot. Uh, Cause Bryce was the one going up. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's just a matter of the angle your arms in, you know, yeah. um, it doesn't take much so, force to, to, to injure your shoulder when you're uh, uh, stretched out like that. So. Yeah. So, but I mean, the problem for him is that he's a shooter. So, yep. uh, any pain and anything that throws off your yep. uh, shot um, is probably more magnified than, say, if you're Horace Spencer, when you're just you're not you don't have that sort of complement of uh, a part of your game. So, um, yeah. and defending, you know, Bruce Pearl talked about how he couldn't lift his arm uh, to defend a shot when and that was out. a big shot but, too. That started the A and M's run there near the end of the first half. Yeah. So. Uh, he's going to need to get better uh, before he can think about playing. So Yeah, he could have put his, his hand up, and uh, a four-point lead for A&M went to seven, and then, of course, A&M ended up building off that into halftime, double digits, and then getting up to 17 the first 90 seconds of the of the second half. And Bryce Brown's their best uh, on-ball defender, too. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, they're already, you know, they're not thin in the sense, like, some teams choose to go with a nine-man rotation, but they don't have any options, you know, beyond that. They're not, they don't have any scholarship players coming. And then you go to eight, and you're really talking about uh, loading up the minutes on some of your tougher guys, which they've tried to avoid all season. Uh, some of your starters, you know, right. Jared Harper is going to be called to play way more minutes and stuff. Heron, so. Um, Davion, that, that, Davion Mitchell has got to get better. Well, he's got to play quality minutes. He's played minutes, but he's not played well lately. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, they could look at him. You know, they were, I was at practice for a little, little while the other day. Uh, and, you know, he's played off the ball quite a bit this season, but more so. You know, he struggled not defensively, but offensively running the offense. And so maybe the role for him right now is just to play off the ball a little more. So you can kind of yeah. keep him in there at times. He um, needs to, because even in the A&M game, he played more, of course, when Bryce went down. He had four turnovers in that game, Davion did. Yeah, so if he's not – and, you know, it's understandable. He's a first-year player, and right. he's playing big games, and it's tough. So uh, keep keep Jared with the ball, but then let Davion get some minutes, spell Mustafa or whoever, uh, as you know, as the two-guard. Um, and he can kind of, you know, help and give them some athleticism and things like that. But, um, what did you, but, yeah, he, he's struggling. Yeah. What did you think of, I mean, 
A&M was just bigger, of course, and that was a big concern for Auburn really going into this stretch here with Alabama and Kentucky coming to town. Uh, A&M just kind of did what uh, you would see sometimes in high school or junior high ball if you had a bigger team. You would just, like, loft it over everybody else in the paint, and he would catch it and put it up. A&M did that maybe half a dozen times that game, if not more. And that wasn't necessarily a difference, but, man, it made make a difference in a couple of their runs and keeping Auburn uh, from really taking over the game in the late minutes. But um, is that a concern going forward? Because I, I, this is the first time I really heard from a player just come out and say, yeah, we really missed Austin Wiley tonight. We could have really well, used him. It depends on what other teams do. You know, it's it, what I've said is that other teams kind of get into Auburn's rhythm and just try to start matching them three for three uh, and don't use the inside. And a lot of times this season that the opposing teams have gotten into foul trouble with their bigs and haven't had the option, whereas Texas A&M, you know, they flirted with it. They got away from it in that second half. And, you know, when Auburn came back, they struggled because uh, they weren't going inside. Then they did and, you know, settled down. Um, not a lot of teams will have that luxury that Auburn facing, uh, and not a lot of teams will, um, have this, you know, they, they were pretty good you know, at get, setting up those passes. I mean, a lot of them were close, right. you know, they, it, were, it was, they, they weren't easy. Well, that, and um, they were just great setup plays. I mean, uh, yeah. So not every team's going to have that. And especially the tw- two, you know, Robert Williams and Tyler Davis uh, as a combination Williams is incredible. Um, yeah, Williams was really good. Um, so, uh, you know, it was the perfect storm. T- Texas A&M is not a team that Auburn matches up well. No, uh, no, at all. no. So, and uh, I thought Vanderbilt was probably in the same uh, breath. They just didn't have, yeah. they just didn't have the, the experience like uh, A&M does. Right. And so, you know, Alabama obviously is a concern. Uh, uh, Kentucky's a concern. But you look at it, the, the re- you know, there's not, you know, I don't think South Carolina is kind of screaming that kind of worry and things like that. So, um but yeah, Texas A&M bad matchup, and uh, Auburn knew it. I think coming into it too. Yeah, definitely. Well, Auburn plays Georgia, and you may have uh, already watched the game by the time you listen to this. Two thirty p.m. Central Time uh, on Saturday. We'll have updates, of course, on the board uh, and at auburnundercover.com. Uh, as we said, a loss doesn't necessarily kill Auburn, but. Uh, They've got to get Bryce Brown back on the court here. It hurts them more for the SEC title than it does the tournament, right. basically. And, I mean, they want the SEC t- title, obviously, the regular season title, but they have, they, they're going to have a long-term view of it, I believe. Yeah, you have to at this point, especially when you get into the second half of a season. Um, yeah. uh, moving back to football here briefly, as everybody knows, Auburn is under going uh, under – going some uh, construction projects at Jordan Hare Stadium, uh, the new game day facility, uh, and uh, the new press box. I say the new press box, but the old press box that they're ripping apart and uh, building into luxury suites, those are well underway. Both both projects supposed to be completed uh, in August. Um, I don't have no idea where they're going to put the media for sp- spring game. We might be sitting in the stands. Uh, yeah. um, which I'd probably almost rather maybe put us on a sideline or something. Uh, but that won't happen. Um, so that those are well underway. Everything seems to be on track with that. Um, actually starting to see some glass go up in that game day facility um, right now. Yeah. Um, 
And then, of course, everybody's kind of wondering if Auburn's going to build a football facility uh, after Gus Malzahn received his seven-year $49 million contract. Everything I'm hearing is that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and how much and where, for that matter, uh, where they're going to put it. But it's going to happen, folks. I, I said it uh, the day we reported, actually, on a on his contract extension, that part of it, the discussion was a football facility, and uh, we keep hearing from folks in that building that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, how they get the money together, and uh, whatever. But it's a priority uh, for Gus Malzahn uh, and his football program at this time. Now, where does Alan Green fit in that, the new athletics director? Of course, he's going to have to go around and probably drum up support and uh, help with fundraising, which leads to my next question. Where is Alan Green? Um, he's on his listening tour. I, I that's imagine. what I think he's doing. Yeah, he's uh, he's been it. He's been here at Auburn. His first day was February first. That that was uh, a little over a week ago. Um, he was at the game uh, against Texas A and M. I was told he was hanging out with a lot of the uh, of the. Uh, um, Big money folks, you know, getting to know them a little bit. And uh, certainly sounds like he's following through with what he uh, said he would do at his uh, press conference, which is he's hanging out with everybody and listening and going to try to make some decisions from there. But he's also made it a point to kind of not be uh, out in the public. And uh, as he said, talking a lot. You know, he's a guy that's, you know, very active on social media and everything. Outside of just congrats to Auburn men's basketball or congrats to this, he hasn't been saying anything. So um, uh, if you're wondering where he's at, he's listening. He's out doing his listening tour. He's on campus. He started work. And uh, I think that you probably won't really hear anything from him, so to speak, uh, probably for another uh, month or two uh, based off of everything that I'm hearing. So That's weird. It's a long time to well, not I, – I, when it comes to uh, vision and like laying out what you're going to do, not necessarily. Especially when you're taking over an athletics department that's been dealing with a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. From uh, off, just off the field, off the court. Um, and he's going to have uh, you know some deci- decisions to make. You know, as far as um, even maybe with both basketball programs and. Um, I'm not speaking necessarily of uh, firing Bruce Pearl. I think that's all going to be taken care of about his future when the NCAA comes to town and Auburn kind of starts communicating with the NCAA about the entire FBI investigation. But what complicates matters further, and you reported on this uh, right before the game on Wednesday night, is that Chuck Person is not going to court for more than a year. Yeah, so nothing... I mean, there's things going to be leaked, but I mean, a lot of that stuff's not going to be coming out for a while. Um, and uh, so, and the FBI is not helping the NCAA out on this at all. No. Uh, so, no. Uh, it, it's all going to come down to the NCAA coming to town and Auburn obviously doing their own investigating and uh, to see if it, uh, if there's any, uh, uh, you know, spider webs beyond Chuck, Chuck Person and what he allegedly did. Um, uh, and so when when you hear Mike and I or any other reporter saying we don't know what's going to happen, I mean, we don't. No one does. Auburn doesn't know. They don't have an inkling um, until they sit down and talk to 
Bruce Pearl uh, further, but um, you know the, the underlying thing here that I keep coming back to, and it's just because it's a by the book type thing. You know, the NCAA has really pushed that idea of a head coach is responsible for the actions of its assistant coaches, and uh, I'm sure that'll come into play because listen. Bruce Pearl was hired, and he said so himself. I mean, he's he was kind of on thin ice coming in. He's got to run a clean program. But I think it's interesting, and this has been the case from the beginning, the FBI's kind of uh, pitched this whole thing as these people that we arrested were working on their own and were taking advantage of the programs and their positions. So at that, at face value, you would think that puts Bruce Pearl in a better position. But as I said, it's all about what Auburn and the NCAA find out and if there is anything else. But um, anyway, relating that back to Alan Green, I don't necessarily know if he would be heavily, heavily involved in decision-making there. I think that's more or less going to be compliance and the president's office making any final calls if it comes to that uh, after the season's over with. And that and this is something that could stretch months uh, because, as I said, the FBI is not going to cooperate with Auburn and the NCAA, and the NCAA still has to get involved, and Bruce Pearl still has to talk to Auburn uh, and their investigators when the season ends. Now, as it relates to women's basketball, that could be a different matter. Uh, Coach Flo, they just beat LSU for their third SEC win, but they are not doing very well. Uh, you keep hearing that they, you know, we don't cover women's basketball recruiting. Uh, really, no one does. But they've got some, they got a pretty good class coming in. So that might actually help her no matter what happens this season. She's been to back-to-back NCAA tournaments. But in women's basketball in the SEC right now, you're seeing that there is a great, great divide between uh, the top, like, three or four programs and everybody else. Um, you've got Tennessee. you got South Carolina. Mississippi State and Texas A&M, right? Uh, Mississippi State's mm-hmm. number two in the nation right now. And what hurts teams like Auburn and programs like Auburn is that Mississippi State, you know, hey, they've been good at women's basketball before, but not this good. And they're in a similar position as Auburn. So why shouldn't Auburn be a top five or top ten program? And Mississippi State turned that all around in a matter of four years, three years really. Um and, you, of course, Tennessee is always Tennessee. Texas A&M has really jumped up over these last eight years. Um, so what does Auburn do? I mean, they've been in this way tournament, but they've never really been a team you thought would go deep at all. And they're not blowing teams out. I mean, you see these top three or four teams in the SEC, they're like blowing everybody out. Um, Mississippi State just came off like a 48-point win on the road at Florida. Um there's a great divide happening and teams like Auburn have got to slow that a little bit, but is coach flow the answer? That's the big question. But what, what might help her no matter what happens this season uh, that I've been told is they've got a really good recruiting class coming in. So keep an eye on that. Um, if you're wondering, but outside that, I don't see. So you think he's going to, he's going to come in and just blow everything up, fire everybody. That's <laughs> no, I don't think so. I guess that's what I was trying to get to is that I don't see Alan green, uh, doing anything with a lot of coaches. Um, right. But when it comes to staff, every AD makes changes uh, within the athletics department, and that's the thing to watch here the next two months. That's why I think it's going to take one to two months for that stuff to kind of get hammered out um, as he goes through his listening tour. 
Um, should come up with a name for it, right? That's what the marketing department does here. Well, you know uh, what the the their uh, you know their signing day show much much yeah. less flashy than it has been in the past, and that's because one of their people, I say one of their people, but one of, one of their top dogs who uh, handled all that is gone now. Um, and this was a change before Alan Green came on board. It wasn't like Alan Green said, let's get rid of this. But uh, So they just kind of, it seemed very slapped together last minute. Uh, and Rod Bramblett and Ronnie Brown especially did a pretty good job on the show, but it didn't have the, you know, coaches on as uh, guests, and it didn't have, you know, an athletics director on there. I remember the previous ones were pretty much like a, QVC ad for Jay Jacobs tenure and how great he was. Uh, and that was yeah. all by design. That wasn't the case this year, obviously. Uh, very different. You know, they had a big set and everything in previous years. This year they were just sitting in the rain room on couches. Um, oh, really? I, cause I was, I was on the road. Yeah. So yeah. That's yeah, right. You know, you know, the so, previous uh, years yeah. they had that big setup with the, and it was at Jordan, uh, Jordan Hare yeah. stadium. Uh, last year and they had that yeah they had like a real talk show yeah. kind of feel they were they were um, literally just, just sitting on couches in front of the national championship trophy in the rain room yeah it's very strange so uh well like we talked about i think we disagreed i said next year they'll do it for the early signing day because there was nothing to cover you yeah. know you had seven guys and it was done by there was that gap because they were waiting for the last two but they were almost done by like seven thirty, basically essentially yeah it's a, this whole new setup is screwing up a lot of stuff for big programs as far as, uh, you know, making everything seem huge, uh, one day or the other. It's, uh, it's like having two Christmases. It's like going, it's like, yeah. it's like going to your, uh, your family's Christmas and then your in-laws Christmas on the same day. Well, and Auburn didn't know what to do. I mean, that, you don't know. And I don't think any program did. They were kind of waiting to see how it all planned out. So you didn't want to do it. So next year, it'll be interesting to see how teams approach it because I think it'll be different. Yeah, I think it also helped when Auburn gets someone probably leading in that position again. Like I said, because they they uh, the person who was running that uh, was Cassie Arner. She's now at Illinois. She left mm-hmm. and uh, was really in charge of all that stuff on the broadcast side. Uh, this year they took quite the hit. Um, so uh, another thing with signing day, I, you know, they finally released Gus's contract. It was signed January 26th, but they didn't release it till literally the day before signing day. And I was told that one of the reasons why it was released is because Auburn was taking quite the hit on the recruiting trail from, you know, negative recruiting happens for these other schools that, you know, Gus hadn't signed his contract yet and all this, and it was putting doubt in people's minds and, I don't know how much releasing the contract the day before signing day was going to help that. Uh, yeah, no, that's silly. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've had people tell me that, but I just don't quite understand that approach. Maybe if they released it two weeks ago, uh, you know, uh, or a week ago when it was signed, you know, it was signed January 26th, release it then, maybe it helps you out. But I, even that, I, I, I don't know. Um, but 75%, man. Yeah, 75% guaranteed. That Gus is set, and Gus is building a lake house at Lake Martin. Uh, he told me that after the Sunday Day press conference. We heard something about it, and he said, yep, it's happening. Uh, they've already bought the land, apparently, and going to start work on that. So, um, 
Big money. Oh, boy. Tommy, that's it's a, lot, a of lot of money, dude. He's, you know, it's one thing for him to be set for life. He's set for life. His kids are set for life. And his grandchildren are set for life. But 75% is a lot for a buyout of that contract. Yeah. Uh, that it's magazine. no Jimbo and, Fisher, 100%, but man, 75% something. And you're betting, and you're, and you're almost uh, negotiating it yourself. I mean, uh, Arkansas couldn't have been offering that package. Yeah. Um, I guess financially speaking, at least Auburn, it's almost like a loan in the sense that they split it up to where they have to pay him 50% of that 75% if they fire him immediately within like 30 days. But then after that, they're paying him as, uh, the other 50% over a four year period annually. So it's almost like they're paying a head coach or, uh, a first year and, head and, coach or something for the next four years after that. And no mitigating factor though. So if he gets a job, um yeah. that's uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, if he if he gets a job, <laughs> his buyout is he owes to Auburn is substantially less. No, but I'm saying if he gets a job if he if he if he if he gets a job and he after he's fired, he, there, there, there nothing oh, comes no, off. Yeah, the you're contract. right. Yeah, there's no offset there, yeah. There's no offset. So, I mean, he could be, like, in theory, like, if he were to get fired and then take another job, he could be making, like, a gigantic, that first year salary, <laughs> like, got 30, got 30, you know, whatever it is, and then added to another salary. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Well, that's that's the world we live in. He's your coach, though, for the next yeah, three or four years. Yeah, I've, I've, I was looking at those numbers. Uh, someone on our board did a very good job of breaking it down year by year. He's the just looking at those numbers. There's no way he's not here for at least three more years. There's zero percent chance. I mean, he'd have to do four cause and and yeah, they'd be able to get to out. Like, yeah. that, there'd be no there'd be no way to get out with just like, well, you're not winning enough games. Like it doesn't matter. He could win zero games. I think he'd be the coach for three years. Yeah. So there you go. Right? There's no way. There's no way. I, listen, the, the money continues to increase from the SEC network and the SEC. Maybe I here's the thing. It all depends on I mean, this is all hypothetical and down the road, but how much money does Auburn really have in reserve? Because Jay mm. Jacobs has said for like the last three years they have thirty million dollars. But it's almost like just a throwaway line, you know? And they're right. not and that money's not publicly uh available to be released through open records, like finding out exactly how much it is. So he just keeps saying thirty million dollars, like, yeah, but why is it not changing? And why are you? Why is thirty million dollars a number you always say? Um, so I wonder what Alan Green looks. Alan Green knows, um, which right. it's just going to be interesting. I mean, a lot of reasons why what Alan Green does in the next few months can be interesting. But uh, I, I think you'll be able to read a lot into maybe some of his first moves and fundraising and whether they can start certain things sooner than later. Base and that'll tell you a little bit maybe more on what they have in reserve and what they're expecting. Uh, financially because um, he, he's inherited just an interesting situation on a lot of a lot of a lot of spectrums really not just financially but the coaches and the the dynamic within the department the dynamic among boosters um he's got this listening to her i like i said the the two-month thing I, I mean he might need more time i, I mean like, listen any job it takes you time to really get your feet wet but uh for him and just handling all this and stuff yeah, he's got to sit back and listen and kind of really make some 
uh, maybe some tough decisions down the stretch here uh, going into the summer. And the good thing for him is, you know, he's got a summer really to help out with his uh, uh, the way he wants to roll things out as well. It isn't like he got hired in August and uh, he has an right. entire academic year to have to worry about. So, um, all right, let's go to listener questions before we end the podcast here. I want to thank everybody for submitting their questions. Let's start off uh, with LCB3, LCB3, <coughs> excuse me, on Twitter. He asks, uh, with Jared Stidham being out for a portion of the spring, with equal reps, can Joey Gatewood play his way into the number two quarterback spot or carve out a role since the running game might need a spark? That's an interesting question. I, I would think maybe Malik Willis would have more of a chance to carve out more of a role in the offense than Joey Gatewood, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and if you're going to tell Malik Willis that he's going to go down to the third string, you're probably going to lose. He's young enough where you don't, you can't do that yet. Right. Um, uh, you just can't. So, yeah, I think Malik Willis will be able to kind of gain more confidence and maybe he gets a package or two this season. Uh Especially since they, you know they know what Jared can do now, they don't need to give him all those reps. Especially late in games, where um, you can kind of look to Malik a little more, especially if he's going to get more practice time. Yeah, um, uh, Joey Gatewood is the quarterback of the future, uh, possibly certainly. But the, his running style and everything, I think that if you're going to develop a package for a quarterback and give them more playing time, because as you said, maybe with the uh, 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 running game, maybe needing it because of all the running backs that have left, it would be Malik Willis. Uh, because uh, Joey Gatewood's going to be built more. I, I, just because, listen, he played here, Cam Newton or Dak Prescott or Tim Tebow, that's the type of runner he is. He's not uh, the fast guy like, uh, like Malik Willis or even a Nick Marshall. Malik Willis compares more to Nick Marshall than the others. He's got more experience. I think you put him in there. Uh, but this spring's going to be fun to watch just because it's pretty much going to be the Joey Gatewood and Malik Willis show. We're going to get really going to get to see a lot of them with the first team offense. Well, the coaches will, the, the, those practices will be closed to us. Um, I, I, oh, this is, I, I'm just going to ask the, I'm going to put this question out there anyway. Um, you've heard of coaches, hot right? I have okay, not. It's, a, it's exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh this is a serious question and i'm not i'm not trying to make fun of you but jesus <laughs> how many games does gus miles on have to win in 2018 to return as coach in 2019 zero I mean, he's not getting fired and here's he goes here's our answer eight wins anything less than the gus bus is done on the planes are you freaking serious come on I, like, I'm honest, I honestly think zero. You would have to not win a single game. I don't. No, I don't think oh, there's any. any there's no okay. game. <laughs> there's like zero. Like if he lost every game, like he'd still. I don't think they can fire him. Oh my goodness! Eight wins or. <laughs> oh man! I have you looked at the new contract? We just talked about it. I mean, if like there's like literally like a revolt on the sidelines with the players like leading a charge against the coaching staff, it would have to be like something bad, and something like, would, that, that would be well, obviously you could fire with cause. It's not going to be win or loss. Uh, yeah, fire with cause. I don't think it, anything on the football field, like barring something like insane that we haven't seen before, I just don't yeah. see it. It's too much money. Yeah, they would owe him a yeah, little yep. over, I think, thirty-one million dollars. 
how do you have that? And then pay him within what you said, 30 days for 50% of yes. that or whatever, 75% of that. There's just no way you could have that'd sink the athletic department. There, go, for there goes your rollover. Hey, it wouldn't sink the athletics department for the year, but well, no, I, but I mean, you'd have to make some make big some, cutbacks. You make some cup. I mean, your, your construction budget would, would vanish in a second. You know, things yeah, would change, yeah. but football um, facility would be taken off the board for a couple of years. That's, I just thought I, mean, I you know they're not going to lose they're not going to lose every game either. No. So I mean it's like you know in worst case scenario what they'll win six games or something something goes wrong. Jared Stidham's hurt. And yeah, they lose, with all they the talent s- they've got, I mean worst case for this team should with the talent should be six wins. So I mean, and six wins just wouldn't do it. There'd be I mean, zero. Still want to get fired. Um, I don't even think his seat would be warm. No, his seat. He's got the besides Nick Saban. His seat's made yeah, of money. His seat is made of money. And and, <laughs> it's and made of, not like flammable he's money. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's sitting on just a pile of coins. Like I I don't think that And coins are cold. And they're not flammable, so it doesn't even matter. So um yeah, I don't I don't get that. I mean people are saying it just because he's making so much money that he's a more of a I think that you're gonna get it's more negative there's gonna be more negative headlines, yes. but I don't think that makes a seat more, hot. Like you're he's He's going to get roasted if this team right. struggles. There's going to be more pressure and well, more expectations, right. higher expectations from fans because of the uh, the money. Right. Um, but that doesn't make his seat hot. It just makes it uncomfortable if he doesn't perform well. But he, what would he care? He'll take his money, pile of money and go to Lake Martin and, and sit. Yep. Um, Tony Perry asks, are we seeing Cody Burns really start to blossom as recruiter and ride receivers coach? Or is this more of a side effect of Chip Lindsey? Makes it sound like an illness. Uh, I think Cody Burns has done a good job the first year uh, on the on the field and uh, as a recruiter. I mean, um, just look at the production of the receivers and what he had, um, and uh, and look at what he's done on the recruiting trail, getting four pretty good receivers. I, I think he's done a good job his first year as a full time coach. Well, Justin Ross wasn't convinced. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm just saying. He said flat out, Auburn doesn't develop receivers. What are you well, gonna do? And Cody burned his defense. The reaction there would be, "I've only been the coach for a year." We'll see. I, I think he has some work to do coaching wise. Uh, you know, they did. Ryan Davis obviously made some improvement. But, Huge improvement, uh, man. And Darius Slayton did, but um, they haven't hit on a lot of those young guys yet. And so we'll see. But those are also you have also like guys that he. You're, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, go ahead. Nate Craig didn't really uh, light the world on fire, and that was your vote for offensive yeah, MVP. Well, see, when I vote you for offensive MB- MVP, you should just transfer because you're probably going to have a bad season. I'm, I've, I've got the yeah. freaking bad, so, bad touch, man. We'll see. I think he's going to need to develop somebody this year. I mean, they're going to need one of those guys to hit a little bit, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, Woodson on Twitter asks, what's your favorite offensive play? Read option? Jet sweep, bubble screen, or wheel route? Give me the wheel route every day. Handoff down the middle. <laughs> um, I used to love draw plays. No draw, draw. Just kidding. Um, well, when Nick Marshall was in, uh, was on campus, zone read and read option. Those were always fun. Yeah. He always he dude just had a knack for running the offense he knew exactly what to do and when very very good one of the best uh option quarterbacks i've ever seen um let's see 
Okay. One more question from Blake Ells. <laughs> How much emphasis do you think the new athletics director will put on scoreboard size? <laughs> uh, he might tear that one down. That thing's – it's too big. Don't you think? I mean, it's now it is what it is. I mean, I mean, you can't do anything to it, but it's just too big. I don't think those – you could split them into two and have two two of them. You know, it's like that's not really cut, how they work. half and put the, other one, put the other one on another side of the stadium. Yeah, I don't think that's how that yeah. works. Uh, the thing's too big. It just is. You can't see it properly from some seats. Um, you know, I guess the good thing for the media is that we won't see it anymore in the new press box. That's right. We don't have any kind I of I don't think we so will, but we might be able to see a bit of it out of the corner of our eye. It might actually be more distracting than anything because you have this big light coming out of the right side of your eye uh, in the press box, the new press box. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't. He doesn't. Allen doesn't strike me as a guy who cares a lot about big scoreboards, and we have to get a big scoreboard in. We have to put a big band aid on what the actual issue is with the stadium. Is that it needs to be renovated and updated? But does he like funnel cakes? Ah, is the question. Yes. Funnel cakes and uh, fifty Mama Goldberg stands inside the stadium, and Chick Fil A. Maybe. All right. Anything else? Mm, watched Altered Carbon. I thought it was yeah, really I, good. Things getting mixed reviews. Is it good? I haven't seen mixed reviews. I thought I've seen all really? the positive. I, it's really good. Yeah, I liked it uh, a lot. Well, maybe I need to watch that. I don't know. It looks like it's, just, it's really good. I, I don't know. The thing that's holding me back is that the the actor makes me mad. Kinnaman. Troll Kinnaman. Oh, because of just because of that uh, uh, Robocop. He kind of upset me. That wasn't his fault. Uh, yeah, you're right there, actually. But I just associate him with it. Yeah, no, I get you. I get yeah, I might saying. check that out. I need, I, I need to find a show to, to watch. Yeah, that was um, good. And there's still some movies I want to see I still haven't seen, but those might be actually be out of theaters by now. Uh, Disaster Artist and... Uh, the Churchill movie. I can't remember what it's called now. Darkest, Darkest Hour, I think. Whatever, yeah. Uh, then Black Panther comes out next week. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's giving good reviews. It was 100%. Someone gave it a negative review and knocked down 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I'm going to see it now. Also, huh. that Han Solo trailer came out on Super Bowl. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. I just think that movie is such a stupid idea to begin with. So, um there are a lot of stupid ideas in Hollywood, but doing origin stories about characters who are cool or mysterious is stupid because the moment you start deconstructing someone that is the reason why they are popular and deconstructing how they became that, it's not, it's not, not a good idea. Well, the same thing with the rumored George, Joker uh, the movie. That's, Joker exactly, what I'm, yeah, like that's worst, exactly what I was getting to. Worst idea so ever. Dumb. Don't do an origin story for the Joker, and don't do a Joker movie. That's a because you're not going to build. I mean, unless you're just making it like a horror film, there's no sympathy to build for a serial killer. I mean, it's just not yeah, a good idea. Like the Joker is a serial killer who gets off on people dying and 
people facing threats in their lives and thinking it's a big joke. You can't yeah, put an so, entire movie around that unless it's like like some type of NC-17, <laughs> you know, just... It, it would have to be one of those, like, grindhouse horror movies. Yeah, it's just not, not a good idea. idea. <laughs> and, and even with Joaquin Phoenix as an amazing actor, what he can't... It's just... That thing's doomed. They'll, they'll never make it. They'll uh, never make it. I don't think so, um, but... But, uh, yeah, but anyway, the solo movie, the only thing that interested me with that was seeing Lando. Yeah. Uh, but that, again, goes back to he's cool. He I already know he's cool based on the way he acts. I don't need to know how he became cool. I don't need to know right. that, oh, he was actually, a, you know, uh, was trying to be an Imperial officer or whatever in the start. That ruins things, man. I don't need to know the background of that. But Disney likes money. And they're going to continue making that stuff. Uh, do you see the Deadpool trailer? Yeah, I didn't think. I mean, I I don't know. I don't you really didn't like the first one. No, and the, the tone. And I mean, I get it. I get why the people some people like it. I you just don't didn't. think just saying something revolving around pop culture is a joke, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So, um, trying to think what were the Super Bowl trailers. Can't remember. The Tide commercials were great. We were talking about that off the air. Yeah, uh, I mean, Lost World. I don't. I mean, not Lost, Lost, Lost World Two. It doesn't. Look yeah, Lost good. World Two. The remake of the Lost World does not look good. Whatever approach uh, they're going with that movie, it looks like it's that thing is going to. It's not going to fail, but Universal is going to be so disappointed by the box office returns on that movie. Unless there's people like dinosaurs, which might be the case. I, I don't, don't know. know, man. I think there'll be some fatigue with that. It'll be just like the the Last Jedi, which made a lot of money, but nowhere near what the Force Awakens did. Oh, the Mission Impossible trailer was amazing. I thought. Oh, um, um, did you watch the full thing? No, I, ha- uh, I don't think uh, I have. No, that was really well, really good. And I've liked the. I never liked the Mission Impossible movies, but until when, until they got to like the fourth one, and now like they're my favorite thing. That's the thing. I stopped watching them when that happened. It was almost like because I saw the the fourth one in like true IMAX, um, like the big, 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 big yeah. IMAX, not the faux yeah. IMAX. That's the one where he's standing out on yeah, the that, building that and was literally directed by Brad Bird, right? Yeah, I almost fainted. It was it was really? incredible. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I thought that was because it was shot in the IMAX camera oh, I think, wow. too. But uh, that yeah, they've been good and. Uh, this one looks really hey, good as well. What's his big stunt in this movie? Because these last three or four movies, he's got some huge stunt. What's his stunt this time? There's a helicopter thing where he's hanging on a helicopter. Yeah. I don't know how you beat hanging off of a airplane taking off. Well, hanging on a hel- on a, off a rope, uh, hanging on oh, a helicopter. Man, Tom Cruise is... Say what you want about him, but man, he, he puts his heart into everything. That guy that guy yeah. does, does not care about his body. And what it, and they've they they've freed Henry Cavill's mustache, so we gotta gotta support. <laughs> That's that. the one thing I did like about the Deadpool trailer was uh, the little joke. They you know they showed Cable the with yeah, the yeah, green yeah. screen or the green arm that had hadn't been replaced yet by the digital, and they said, "Gosh, this isn't as hard as removing a mustache or whatever." Uh, I thought that was nice, but again, a pop culture <laughs> reference, you know, it's right. an actual joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, that in Jurassic Park movie looks bad. I have no interest in that. Um, well, I'll I'll have interest. In, I'll go see it because I'm a I'm a gullible person, and 
they feed off our nostalgia, and that's why I'll go. Oh, that theme song so good. What what's the what's the uh, obsession with studios taking these great theme songs and like slowing them down or doing them in different keys or uh, playing them with different instruments? I think you, that, but that that Jurassic Park theme song is so good. You could do anything to it. It would it would be yeah. Good. I don't agree with that because they they've screwed it up. <laughs> and, and, I don't and think I, so. I I disagree with that one. I don't. I don't like these little, like they're sounds like uh, nail scratching on board, chalkboard with the song. They do these trailers. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I also think uh, I might be getting Chris Pratt fatigue. Mm. That's a medical yeah, condition. Like, That's a real thing. No one gets Chris Pratt fatigue, and I've got it. Well, Anna Ferris did. Oh, hey. Wonder what happened there. That's interesting. Let's go to TMZ.com. Um <laughs> Yeah. So That's all I got. Stop making Star Wars movies. Yeah, I think they need well no, but they're gonna do two more trilogies you know, with with the stop. random characters. That's not stop. They need to just, just take stop. a break. Disney loves money. Just stop. Last Jedi just killed my interest in this trilogy. Yeah. Um, it just has, you know, Force Awakens kind of, I was like, man, this is, this could be pretty good. And then Ryan Johnson came in, just, I thought destroyed it. A lot of, is it, is it Ryan or I is don't it Rain? Know. Who cares? Like Rain, he washed away what I liked about Star Wars. Hey, there you go. That's a good that guy. They gave yeah. him too much freedom. That's when Disney should have stepped in and said, all right, listen, you know, we're pretty hands-on with every movie we make, but we especially need to be with Star Wars. And I thought he just, oh, man. It's like he came in and just, he tore everything that J.J. Abrams was setting up down. I didn't like it. Anyway, all right. Oh, I saw the new Cloverfield movie. Yeah, I watched it's that. Okay. It was kind yeah, of a mess. It was, mess. It was yeah. okay in pot parts, but nothing amazing. Good ideas. Um, but uh got very generic in the final thirty minutes. Yeah. Um, and predictable. Also, I, you know what turned me off? What started turning me on the movie was actually when uh spoilers, uh Chris O'Dowd, the actor, he loses his arm. And mm-hmm. he starts making arm and hand jokes. You thought he should take it more seriously? No, he did it. Like, he did like three jokes in a row. And I was like, hey, spread these out. But he kept he kept doing them. And, I'm like, and uh, he's like, yeah, give me a hand. <laughs> like, okay, so this went from, oh, my God, weird things are happening. My arm is lost to oh, my arm's gone. That's funny. Really? Talk about tone. That's a very specific complaint. But that's when that's when my mind started changing on the movie. I was like, "Okay, this I, is weird. That's not what you're supposed to be doing right now." Anyway, Ten Cloverfield Lane's about fifty times better. I never you saw, never that saw one, Ten so. Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, I just I never I'm never in the mood to watch like just sitting around in a house. Well, even after having the ruin in uh, the ruin the ending ruined for me, 
I still sat down and watched it and really enjoyed it. It's really good. I've heard nothing yeah. but good things, but it's just, John Goodman yeah. makes the whole movie, man. He's incredible. Anyway. Yeah, that's what everybody says. But, but yeah, apparently get there eventually. Yeah, they're apparently making another one of those Cloverfield movies. I guess yeah, what they've so just been doing is taking these old scripts that were had nothing to do with Cloverfield yeah, and just, just shoehorning in Cloverfield stuff. Yep. <laughs> Which so they are with this last movie, you could definitely tell. That it was something yeah. else. It was a very generic movie. That thing would, if they released that, even this new version in theaters, it would not have cracked fifty million dollars. No, it, it, that 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 was not a good movie. And Paramount made the right choice in selling it to Netflix. They sold it to Netflix for fifty million. So they they did a pretty good. That was a pretty good idea. You want to pay us fifty million dollars for this? <laughs> have at it. Anyway, all right. I guess that's it. We've lost everybody. That's all. <laughs> so, anyway, thanks for joining us on the Auburn Undercover Podcast. We'll see you at some point down the road. I don't know when. It'll happen.